Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As we head off to the River Cree Resort and Casino Hotline, and we welcome back to the show from the Oilers Radio Network, a man who had a 49-goal, 114-point season in the National Hockey League. He is uh, part of the Oilers Radio Network. He also does some skill coaching in town. We welcome back to the show Rob Brown. Hi, Rob. How are you doing? I'm doing very good today, Bob. How are you? Good. We have uh, Jay Woodcroft, Willie Desjardins, and Ian Herbers on after you. So a bit of a uh, coaching theme on today's edition of Oilers Now. Well, I, I was known as a coach killer, so that works out really well for the show. There we go. Uh, and why were you known as a coach killer? I don't know. Hitch said that about me once or ten times. Sometimes he said that I wouldn't pay attention to him. And I, and then a lot of guys got fired just after I got there. So I don't know if there's a correlation, a coincidence. I think it's just all hitch. Uh, now, you you did have the highest scoring season in WHL history with 212 points in one year, right? Did you not? I did, uh, with Hitch as my coach, uh, my favorite coach I ever had. And why was he the favorite coach you ever had? Uh, it's funny, when I first, he took over for Bill LaForge, we didn't get along at first. He was, I don't know if you noticed, he likes to yell. He has a uh, negative demeanor a lot of the time around the players. Uh and it was just different from what I'd ever had before. But once I sat down with Hitch, uh, we had rules. And his rule was when I had the puck, I could do whatever I wanted. When I didn't have the puck, I had to do whatever he wanted. And I think that's any skilled player will tell you. That's all they want. They just want to be able to be creative. But if they don't have the puck, then they have to become the defensive player that the coach needs. So, yeah, Hitch was uh, my father and my and Ken Hitchcock, the two biggest influences in my hockey career. Your dad was the general manager of the team at that time. Uh, just circling back to Bill LaForge, who is no longer with us. Uh, his son is the GM of the Seattle Thunderbirds, and uh, we're just getting some tracer fire. That's the term that uh, war correspondents used to uh, use when there was something going on, uh, that Brad Lambert may end up ultimately with the Seattle Thunderbirds. There had been a trade agreed to. I think Saskatoon had his rights, if if I recall correctly. And we know that Seattle's already added, uh, you know, uh, Luke Prokop. They added the, the defenseman uh, that was uh, from Prince Albert to Seattle. It was on the World Junior team. They got Korchinski on the World Junior team. Now, um, Brandon, can you look up the defenseman? I, I forget the kid's name. Do you remember the kid's name that came over at the Chicago first rounder? Uh, Nolan Allen. Nolan Allen. Yep. Well, you know what? I keep mistaking Chad Allen and Nolan Allen. So, Nolan Allen. So, they've got Korchinski, Nolan Allen, Schaefer, uh, the goaltender Milich, uh, Bill LaForge uh, Jr. is a Jamalat Seattle team. Sounds like they're closing in on Lambert, too. Something might get announced. Uh, um, but I just want to ask you just about Bill Sr. I mean, he was the definition of, like, he liked tough teams, didn't he? <laughs> he well, he did. I remember the when I was a 15-year-old and he came up to me in a game and said, okay, uh, next shift you're going to have to fight, so pick wisely. I remember the, uh, we went to Memorial Cup in Kitchener one year, and we were down 7 nothing. 
halfway through the second period and he turned to the assistant coach and said all right next whistle we're going to send them and the assistant coach what do you mean send them well we're going to lose the game we may as well brawl them and i remember them getting into an argument the assistant coach we're on national television we cannot send them for a brawl uh we ended up coming back and losing the game eight six so there was a comeback but he was old school we had a brawl in seattle underneath the stands he and jeff crawford his former tough guy for regina who was our assistant coach, got into a brawl that eventually all the players spilled out underneath the stands in Seattle at a full-scale brawl with the fans. Uh, he was uh, old school. He was no-nonsense. My father and I flew into Kamloops. Uh, I got called up about a month into their season, and we went into their uh, Bill LaForge's office, and I sat down. He was on the phone. And while he was on the phone, he, every second word was colorful. He hung up the phone. He looked at me stood up, pulled his wallet out, gave me $20, said, come back when you look like a boy, because I had long hair back then. And me and my dad, all right, walked down the street, got a haircut, came back, and then all of a sudden I was part of the Kamloops Oilers at that point. So he was old school. He and his family took care of me. I remember Bill LaForge, Billy LaForge, when he was a kid in Kamloops. Uh, wonderful family that, again, very important part of my career when I went there as a 15-year-old. Because you had a bit of the Andre Agassi look going, didn't you, when you grew your hair out? <laughs> yeah, well, my, my, my mom liked me in a perm, and you always do what your mom says. So, yeah, I was a 15-year-old boy with a long hair perm. Uh, I can still remember the smell of that stuff as you get in your hair perm, but uh, I, I learned quickly that uh, Bill LaForge was not a big fan of hockey players with long hair, and it went short for a while, so... Uh, he, he was as old school as I've ever encountered in hockey. His name was Coach, and any player that has ever played for him will only call him Coach and have utmost respect for him. You know, last night, uh, Lou Lamorello was in town, and we were in Seattle checking out on Friday, and the Islanders were coming in, and I should have known it was the Islanders right away because no one had any, uh, none of the players had beards. Yep. They're all clean. Yeah, and, funny. You know, you think of you think of Lou, and I, I know some people. The first general manager I ever interviewed in the game was Lou Lamarillo in 1996. Uh, I did a, a segment that went on the scoreboard. It was called "On the Tape" for 6:30. Chad, Dave Jamison actually set it up for me. Um, my friends called it "Waste of Tape," but uh, Lou was the first. He was he was the nicest guy, and people don't, he actually hired Rick Pitino to be the basketball coach at Providence when he was the athletic director or the hockey coach at Providence. He, he like he, but he had his roles and obviously uh, so too did um, Bill LaForge and so too did Ken Hitchcock. It, so you mentioned you were allowed to do what you want. Conceptually, what did you learn from Hitchcock as a coach? Well, I mean, I learned I was a better defensive player from playing for him because he was very strict uh, with where you were when you didn't have the puck. Uh, he believed in all-out pressure. Like there was no, you, you didn't float in a practice or a game with Hitch. You, you went 100% all the time. But one of the things that I, I learned from him was later in my career. I had him in the minors, and it was in between. I was in the NHL, and I spent some years in the minors. And I thought, you know, I was going to be in the minors, and I was going to go back to Europe, and that was the end of it. And teams would always be sending players around or scouts around to see see players in the minors. A lot of times, they'd be looking at their own. Uh, players that they're younger players, but Hitch called me in his office one day and he said, Okay, I know who you are. You know who you are. But there's a perception. He said, People are watching in the stands the way you skate to the bench, the way you skate for the national anthem, the way you stand at the national anthem, the way you go into a face off. He goes, Just realize that at every moment there's eyes on you. 
So if you want to change the perception of who people think you are, remember that. And, and I did. And all of a sudden, I became a little more focused on things that I didn't think were as important, but apparently others did. And it was, uh, you know, a couple of years later, I got to get back into the National Hockey League because I changed the perception of what people thought of me. Rob, we just watched, uh, and maybe it was just a bumper crop of local area products, but five guys off uh, from the Edmonton area win a World Junior Championship. You won a World Junior Championship as a player. I have a theory that the Oilers of the late 80s, of the 80s, spawned a bunch of successful players that went on to play in the National Hockey League because they got to watch what the guys were doing on a nightly basis in the highlights. And I think that's happening again with McDavid and Dreisaitl, that kids try stuff that they see these guys do. And when you have two of the best players in the world, maybe it's more apt to happen. Am I completely out to lunch, or is this something that you actually watch when you're out there coaching kids right now at the hockey school that you're working at? Well, they're obviously kids are more in tune with the Oilers when the Oilers are winning. I know that my son uh, grew up, he was never an Oilers fan because the Oilers were never good. Uh, he's 21 now, so he went through all the stands where they never made the playoffs. So uh, the interest in hockey wasn't as high simply because, the, I mean, you know what it's like in Edmonton when the Oilers lose. It's a very sad city. So I, I think when I grew up, I was here during the heyday of the Oilers, and yeah, I'd watch an Oilers game and my eyes would never leave Gretzky. It just, uh, the, the, what he could do, and I'm like, I'd go and practice and try him. I could do some of the things at a much, much slower pace, but I, I, I wanted to be like Gretzky. And I know that with the academies that I teach, every time something cool happens in a game, the players go out and try to emulate it. Every, beginning of every practice from my grade fours up, they're always trying the Michigan. And then I think it was a couple of years ago when Leon Dreisaitl scored the one-timer where his feet were below the goal line. The next three weeks in practice, all of the kids were passing the coach, pass to me, pass to me, because they wanted to see if they could hit the net from that spot. So, yeah, when you have a successful franchise and you have superstars in your area, you're more apt to be excited about the game of hockey. Toronto Raptors basketball has taken off in Canada because the Raptors became good. And all of a sudden, kids wanted to play basketball because they see these superstars in their home country. So, yeah, I think uh, having Connor and Leon and having a team that's much more successful makes for better hockey players in this area because the players are excited to be, be hockey players in this area. We're joined right now by Rob Brown. He's our Inside the Game analyst on the Oilers Radio Network. Uh, Rob, uh, I want to hit on a, a, a couple uh, more things here, just in terms of what we are watching on a nightly basis. We're watching the contrast between two big men. One who has bounced out of an organization is trying to make the most of his second opportunity. He plays with a degree of physicality. Last night, he got crushed by uh, Romanov coming down the right wing. We're talking about Clean Costin. He went right back at two Islander players on that shift, like right back at them. And then we're watching Yesapuli Irving, who two years ago, Rob, in our separate broadcasters' meetings with uh, Dave Tippett, when the Oilers played McDavid, Drysaddle, Nugent Hopkins at center, Paul Yarvey on a lot of nights was Edmonton's best winger. And unfortunately, it's not happening right now. It really is quite the contrast between Costin. And Paul Yarvey in terms of what they're accomplishing and how they're playing, aren't they? isn't it? It is. Uh, with Costin, he's appreciative of his opportunity. Uh, I've been in his position where you're in an organization that you're not playing, 
uh, you're in and out, you're up and down from the minors. Uh, you, you understand how fortunate you were when you had your chance. And you tell yourself, if I ever get a chance in the NHL again, I will do whatever it takes to stay up there. And that's what you see on a nightly basis. I mean, he still makes mistakes, but then the next shift out there, he's going to go correct that mistake by doing something good. So for him, he understands that every game that he plays might be his last, so he better make a good impression. Uh, With Yessi, I think Yessi was a – and I've played with players like Yessi that were big-time scorers, come in with the – Attitude that they're going to play top six minutes, going to be a power play guy, going to be a goal scorer in the National Hockey League. He's on a team right now where he doesn't fit that role because they have guys that do it better. So he's got to understand that for him to be an NHL player here, he's got to do other things. And he, he is. He's being physical when he can out there, and I give him credit for that. But I don't know if he's fully invested in the fact that maybe to play on the Edmonton Oilers, he has to be a third-line checker. Uh, and I've played with guys that would never accept that. They're like, I can go, I'll go somewhere else and I'll, I'll do it there. I'll be a goal scorer there. And maybe that works that way for Yessi. But on the Edmonton Oilers right now, he's never going to be your power play guy. He's never going to go on the power play. He's a net front presence, and they've got Kane and Hyman, who would be ahead of him, and they also like Yamamoto there. So he's not playing where Connor or Leon or Nuge is, so he has to invent himself as a, a different kind of player, and he's trying. I just don't know if he's completely invested in it. Yeah. And to be to be a third line player or a fourth line player, you've got to be invested because it's they're hard minutes, and sometimes those minutes become long time in between. So you've got to be able to understand and accept. And, I, and not all players can do that. Rob, if I recall correctly, I mean, you played forward in the NHL, but you did you not start off as a defenseman in the WHL and then move to forward? Yeah, so I played two. I played four years in the Western Hockey League, and it was in my beginning of my third year of the Western Hockey League when I moved up to forward. We had a bunch of injuries, and I think Hitch was tired of seeing a back-checking defenseman is what I was. All right. So what are your thoughts on 11-7? and Well, as a forward, I love it. 100% love it. It's extra ice time. And nothing against fourth liners, because I at times have been in a fourth line. As a fourth liner, if, say, it was me and Devin Shore were a line mate, and... Ryan Reeves is the third guy. Well, Ryan Reeves is out of the lineup tonight, but every once in a while when we get out, we're going to get Connor or Leon or Nuge. As a fourth liner, you get a little more jump in your step because you are now in a position where you're going to create offense. You're going to have some creativity on the ice. You're playing with the best player. So as a forward, you're excited because the Oilers have these great players that are now going to play down in the lineup in double shift, and as a fourth liner, you're excited by that. As a defenseman, it's not as much fun. Now, for the first four defensemen, it doesn't matter. They're still getting the same minutes. Right. It's the bottom pairing. Now those are moved around. Now, they went seven defense last game. They really went six and three shifts or something like that. His name and only played three minutes. But I, I like it. I think the others can benefit from that. I don't know if that's something that they can do for – I think eventually it may tire your best players. But I do think it is – uh, it plays havoc on the opposition. If Colorado's coming in, they say, okay, we want McCarr versus Connor. We want so-and-so versus Leon. And you're trying to set that up, and all of a sudden the Oilers' fourth line comes over the boards, and here comes Connor. Well, you weren't expecting that. That's where your third pairing is supposed to get their minutes. So it just plays havoc with the opposition. All right. Uh, one more for you. So 11-7. and seven. Now, the Islanders are a team that's had Ross Johnson on the team the last six seasons. He's played 125 games. 
So he's basically played 20 games or so a year. But they've had him there as a possible option. And the Avalanche went out and got Curtis McDermott, who might be the toughest guy in the league right now. Uh, and he has not taken any prisoners. Like, if the Rats are the guys that are cheap-shotting the Avs' top players, he goes after the Rats. He's not sitting there going, oh, I'm only going to fight the heavyweights. What's your thought on that as a possible, you know, sometimes you go, maybe you go 11. If you had it, if you had a deterrent like that, would you be open to it? I would. He's got it when he does play. Well, I can see what you're saying. Then you're 11 and 7, or you're 11 and 6, more or less, and that seventh guy just plays certain minutes. Yeah. I, I'm i a big fan of tough guys. Every team I ever went to, I befriended the tough guy very quickly. I roomed with Stu Grimson. I roomed with uh, Mike Peluso. I was good buddies with Jay Caulfield. I, and then when I went down to the minors, we played against Fort Wayne. There's this guy named Fletcher on Fort Wayne. First shift I was out there, and I was his best friend. So I'm a big fan of tough guys on my team. It makes your team a little bit tougher. And I like a tough guy that will walk, will skate up to a rat or skate up to a smaller player and say, yeah, no, you're not doing that again. Here's your warning. Bob Probert did that to me once. I hit Steve Eiserman. Next shift, he lined up beside me. He goes, you're not going to hit him again anymore, are you? I'm like, nope, Mr. Probert, I'm not. <laughs> so it was very, very simple. He gave me that one opportunity to make the right choice, and I certainly did. You didn't sit there and use that colorful language with Probert. You just said, no, sir, I will not. <laughs> nope, not with Bob Probert. He, uh, whatever he wanted me to say. He could have wrote the script for me. Here's what I want you to say to me. Okay, Bob, anything you say, kid. Uh, was was he the scariest guy back when you played? Um, no, because he, he wouldn't bother me unless I did something stupid. Uh, one of the scariest, it was um, Dale Hunter. Yes. Because Dale Hunter wasn't much bigger than me, if if that. But he was scary because you didn't know what he was going to do. Like, so a tough guy didn't really bother me unless I did something stupid. Uh, Dale Hunter, he could just, it's almost like something went off in his head. The wiring was a little off one time, and all of a sudden he, well, Pierre Turgeon, yeah, after he scored a goal, went and just absolutely clobbered him. So Dale Hunter was the one guy that when I was on the ice, I always knew where he was on the ice. Final question for Rob Brown from the Oilers Radio Network. What is uh, the biggest difference today in the player-coach dynamic than when you uh, were coming up as a player? Oh, that's 30, simple. 35, players 40 have years. A say. Players have a say now. Uh, when I played, you had no say. You, you, there, was, there was no... Nowadays, players, you say something to a player, they'll go, why? You never even thought about saying Why? When Mike Keenan said, okay, I want you to go stand on one foot at center. Well, all right, Mike, here I go. You just, you didn't question. Because uh, if you questioned, you weren't around. So nowadays, uh, there's a conversation between players. And at the beginning of my career, there was no conversation. It was, here's what I'm telling you to do. You're going to do it, or we're going to find someone else to do it for you. So I think that's why there's, uh, the relationship between players and coaches is much better nowadays, and that's why the players are getting more out of them. Because, the, I mean, a coach could see what he sees from the bench, or he can see it on video, but he's not on the ice. And sometimes what happens on the ice, a player has a better idea because he's out there, he's going through it, than what a coach would see. So I think players are better now because they have a say in what happens in a game, and the coaches give them that. What did Gene Ubriaco, your coach in Pittsburgh, tell you in terms of protecting yourself on the ice? I was allowed two five-minute majors a year. Use them wisely. So 
I, I have done that. <laughs> it, it created space. If the, there's always got to be, if you're a skilled player and small like I was, there's got to be some fear that if you do something stupid to me, that you'll have to pay a price. So he gave me the, the green light twice a year to take a five-minute major just to create space on the ice for myself. And the stick was the great equalizer. Could you imagine a coach saying that to a player today? Well, uh, if he said it, it better never come out that he said it because yeah. then there's suspensions and lawsuits. Uh, no, it, well, the stick was a great equalizer. But, I mean, all you have to do is watch old video of games from the 70s, the 80s, and even the early 90s and compare what the players went through then and what you were allowed to do, what you weren't allowed to do compared to now. I mean, if you were on a power play in, the, in my era, you never got a five-on-three unless there was a broken limb. Blood didn't even get you a five-on-three. Right. So, and you never wanted more than a three-goal lead late in a hockey game because if you had it, you didn't play your stars anymore because whoever was out on the ice was fighting. Getting, yeah, you were fighting or you getting cross-checked or two-handed. You, you never ran up a score. There would never be a 9-2 or a 7-1 score back when I played. And if there was you would see the last five minutes would have about 15 fights in it. Rob, great stuff. Thanks for joining us. Sounds good, Bob. See you tomorrow night. That's Rob Brown from the Oilers Radio Network. It's 12.55 in Edmonton. We'll bang off a couple texts when we return in Oilers now. Brendan, you'd be amazed how many guys reach out to me about the podcast. Probably, if they're not up within like 45 minutes after the show's over, at least three or four guys on Twitter and then a couple of my buddies. It's crazy. I didn't even know the strength and the power of the podcast. It was Jack Hookson from Pro-Am Sports told me, you got a lot of people that are downloading that podcast stuff from all over the place. Spirit of radio, spirit of podcasting. Nicely done. Mm-hmm. We're heading back to sunny California this April with the New West Travel Group. Uh, New West Travel, we're going to have a hookup with them in Las Vegas Saturday at the end of the Oilers uh, four-game road trip. But coming up in April, an Oilers now roadie to watch uh, the Oilers play the Kings and the Ducks. This New West Travel hockey package includes airfare, four nights at the Marriott LA, lower bowl game tickets for both games, and a welcome reception with yours truly and special guests. For the California hockey road trip, visit newwesttravel.com. Last year, uh, we had 75 people join us in Nashville, and uh, Paul Coffey and Ken Holland and Jay Woodcroft, it was after the trade deadline, were kind enough to spend a couple hours with folks. It was a good time. Uh, So, you know, a little tougher sometimes on the second of a back-to-back. We shall see uh, what happens. By the way, the WHL trade deadline is January the 10th, so we'll keep that in mind as... uh, just to see, because there could be a connection specifically with Reed Schaefer and Seattle to see who they add. So we'll monitor Bill LaForge uh, Jr. and what his team does. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Oh, hey, we got the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers, Jay Woodcroft, coming up live at 105.